Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Grace Strickland. I'm the lead pastor at our Fairhope campus, and I am excited to be back to finish up Comparison Trout Part 2. Um, and we've been in a conversation the past two weeks about this need to compare ourselves to other people. And, um, and so this morning, I was thinking, I was like, I really want you to, you know, as, as people that stand up on stage and talk, it's easy to think that, that we got it together. And even last week, I kind of gave you some examples of how I compare myself. And I talked about being short and talked about having freckles. And, and then I talked about some serious stuff about comparing in ministry and the need to compare myself to other pastors. And uh, so I wanted to let you in behind the curtain on, on something that I struggle with right now. All right. So, so now, now if I do this, don't be judging me, okay? All right. Just hold your judgments to the end. But about 2000, I think it was 2007, uh, Apple came out with a product that changed the world. It was the iPhone. And, uh, and I had a friend of mine at the time that he, he said, man, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that iPhone. And, and at the, that, in that day and time, the, the Motorola Razor was like the phone to have. I mean, you could get it in two colors, black or red, and, you know, you could flip it out. It was, it was really thin. And I was like, man, you're going to look like such a moron with that iPhone. I said, that thing is huge. You're going to walk around with a, a calculator to your head. You know, and nowadays we walk around like with a VHS tape size thing to our head. And, um, but, but he got it, and it took me about a year of comparing my razor to his iPhone before I found myself in line at an AT&T store in Daphne, Alabama at 3 a.m. <laughs> not only was I in line, I was the line. I beat everybody there, and then I realized how foolish that was. So when the second person got there an hour later, I was like, man, you can go first, because I just didn't want to be that guy. Not that second was any better in that scenario. But, so I got my very first iPhone. It was iPhone 3G, had rounded edges, a, a glossy back. Man, it was, it was pretty. I would lay in bed at night, and everything would be dark, and it'd just be with my iPhone, this little glow. Just couldn't put it down, but I was hooked. But then Apple realized something about people like me. It's like, if there's an upgrade, we're going to get it. And so they said, you know, the next year we're going to do an iPhone 4. And I was like, well, i got to have that. It looked a little different. And, and so it's like, ah, that, that's pretty awesome. And, and then the next year, they wouldn't stop doing this. They said, well, we'll, we'll go one more. Let's go with iPhone 4S. We don't even know what the S means, but it's different. And we're going to call it an upgrade, and people are going to buy it. And so I was like, you know, this is great. Well, then they keep going. It, it, it's, it never stopped. There was a 5, and then a 5S, and, and, I, and I, this is where the judgment is setting in. Remember, this is in the day, this is in the day where, where you would do a two-year contract, pay maybe 100, 150 bucks, and then you stay with the company for two years, and then you can get a new phone after two years. And my wife and I had alternating upgrades, Okay. So what I would do, I would just steal her upgrade every year, every other year. Now, and you think, well, you're a terrible husband. She didn't care. It was a paperweight to her. And, uh, and so they came out with a 5 and the 5S, and there was a 6. I skipped a 6, and there's a 7, and, and then there was the 8, and then there was the 10 and the 10S, and, uh, which is what I have now. And I, and I sit back, and, and I, here's what I know. <laughs> well, number one, Apple got smart. They said, there are some idiots out there. They don't even want to own a phone. You can just rent it to them and let them upgrade it every year, and which is what, what I do now. But this is, <laughs> my wife is in Fairhope, and she, I mean, she's like, she lives in this. She thinks it's ridiculous. And, but, but, but this is what I know. There's going to be, in September, Apple 
<laughs> Apple is going to do this big, big thing where they, they roll out the new products for the next year. And, uh, and I'm going to be there and I'm going to place my order at 12 a.m. on the morning that they're available. Because if you, if you get it early enough, you can actually get it a day early on if you know that. Um, but um, I set my alarm so it goes off and I get up and order the iPhone. But I thought, man, isn't this... Isn't this, and I know that though it's, it's, it's superficial, this is a perfect example of the comparison trap. And even we could, we could, we could uh, rephrase the comparison trap and say it's an upgrade trap. Like we always feel this need because we compare that we've got to, we got to upgrade to the next thing. And this is a perfect example of living in the, the land of Ur. And although it's superficial for, for many of us and for many of you, the temptation can be not only to compare phones or, or maybe you're a gun guy and you got like lots of guns and when the apocalypse happens, you're going to be good to go. But um, it, may, it may be something else, but, but with relationships, with, with money, with our house, with, uh, with our kids, man, it, it absolutely is a comparison trap. And this is why we say the land of ours is this, is that there's always going to be someone richer, skinnier, smarter, taller, prettier, happier, hipper, talented-er than you. It's just the way it's going to be. In fact, I made this statement last week. I said, you can place any adge uh, adjective to describe yourself, and eventually somebody's going to have a bigger-er with that adjective to, to, to trump yours. And so to prove that, I want to read you the lyrics of this song. Check this song out. We found this this week. So you think, I'm going to read this, not sing it. So you think, I want you to come back. So you think you've got some county line cred because you rode a dirt road or two. You got a mossy oak hat on top of your head and a southern pride tattoo. This is where I grew up in southern Mississippi. All right. My town's smaller than your town, and I got a bigger buck and bass on my wall. Got a little more kick in my draw, y'all. I got a little more spit in my jaw. My truck's louder than your truck. And my collar's a little more blue. You might think that you're a redneck, but I'm rednecker than you. You absolutely, and some of you are like, Where? that is my anthem. Like, yeah. You're the person that when we're sitting in a restaurant and you drive by in your truck, we just stop talking because we can't hear ourselves. Um, but but even, even in that, there's like, yeah, I, man, I, I take pride in that and, and, and I'm, I'm comparing myself. So there's comparisons every, everywhere when it comes to the comparison trap. But the reality is, if you, if you could go and have an honest conversation with the people that you compare yourself to, you would find out that they're not satisfied, that they struggle with the same temptation, that there's still this issue of looking to, to someone else. This past year, and watching Tom Brady win his sixth Super Bowl, I was reminded of an interview in 2005 that he did after he won his third Super Bowl. And I want to share that with you because it illustrates so clearly the comparison trap that we live in. Check this out. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Which of the rings do you like the best? What's uh, your favorite ring? 
my favorite ring. We always said, and I said always, the next one. The next one's the best. For most people, if we said, hey, for different reasons, but if we said, hey, do you want the, the Tom Brady upgrade to your life? We'd be like, yeah, I'd take six Super Bowl rings. I don't even like football, but money comes with it. You know, influence comes with it. Yeah, I, I, would, I would exchange my life for his life. I would upgrade to that. And yet here this guy is, one that, that many would consider in the game of football the GOAT, the greatest of all time. He is living an est moment right now. He says, man, there's got to be more to life than this, that even at all I've accomplished, I still feel like there's more to do. And then when asked, what's, the, what's your favorite ring? It's the upgrade. It's the, it's the next one. And that's why we can so clearly and confidently say there is no win in comparison. That if you ever get to an est level, eventually, eventually, Someone is going to trump that. Even just this week, Michael Jordan, considered one of the greatest basketball players, who I still consider the greatest basketball player of all time, was his, his record for points scored was trumped by LeBron James. Just like that. And it doesn't matter anymore. And so there's always going to be this tension of, of wanting to upgrade, of wanting to think this next thing is going to be the thing that satisfies me. And it never does. You know, um, in life, I feel like we can't make this thing go away. In fact, I feel like there's always this little whisper that just says, I wonder. I wonder if I'm good enough. Yeah, I wonder if, if the life that I've, that I've, I've, I've uh, created, the life that I live, I wonder if it's, if, it's a, if it's enough. I wonder if my spouse is enough. I wonder if I've wasted too much time with this individual and I, and I, I miss something else. You know, I wonder if my kids are enough. I wonder if my house is enough. And we live in this tension of, I wonder, and, and the good news is, and this is what we talked about last week, the good news is, is that God has an answer to the comparison trap. We read this verse in Ecclesiastes. It says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. And we read this last week, and Solomon says, it's better just to only have one handful of this word tranquility, which means contentment and satisfaction and peace. Better to have that than two handfuls of always trying to get more, always trying to achieve more. Because that achievement is, is rooted, is rooted in envy. In fact, last week I told you, I made you, I asked you, I didn't make you, I asked you to turn to your neighbor and say, tell them that this one hand of tranquility is a spiritual thing. It's not a money thing. It's not a relationship thing. It's not a bigger house thing. It's not a bigger bank account thing. If we're going to live with this one hand of tranquility, being content, satisfied, and at peace, it's going to be because we solve a spiritual problem. So this morning, this is what I want you to do. Some of y'all are going to enjoy this way too much. I want you to turn to your neighbor, who possibly is your spouse, and go, you got a problem. <laughs> That's all you need to say. We don't need to enter into marital counseling right now. We can help with that, but not now. Because that's the reality, is that this is, it's not just a spiritual thing, it is, it is, a, it is a spiritual problem. It's only going to be addressed in a spiritual 
way. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to look at a passage of scripture in a book called Galatians that's really not a book. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And, uh, and he's writing to a, a, an area called Galatia, which is like modern-day Turkey. And, and what I love about this book or this letter is that it, takes, it talks about freedom. If you could take Galatians and sum it up in one word, it, it's, it's that, that God wants you to experience freedom. And what he, the insight that we get this morning is the foundation of where that freedom is found. And, and, and freedom is what we're after. And the comparison, trap, freedom, the comparison trap robs us from our freedom in this life. So we're going to pick up in Galatians chapter 4. Paul says this. He says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under Law. And I want to talk about this word law. I don't realize if you know this or not, but, it, but it's true. And, I, and, and if you go, I don't know if that's true about me. Just stay with me for a second. But you were, you were born under law. And what the law is, the law is God's mirror to let us know that we're not okay. It's God's standard. It's what we measure ourselves against. In the same way you look in the mirror before you walk out the door to see if your hair's right, see if your makeup's right, see if your zipper's up, and, you, and the mirror reflects back to you to say, you know what, you need, to, you need to zip your fly, man. You need to fix your hair. You need to fix your makeup. That the law says, hey, you're not right. And you say, well, Gray, I don't believe in God, so I couldn't possibly believe in a, in a law, and I'm certainly not accountable to a law that, that was in, put in place by God that I don't believe in. I want you to follow me with some logic. How many of you, how many of you have ever fallen short of someone else's standard for your life? Don't raise your hands or anything, but just think for a second. Now, we just came out of a marriage series called the expectation, or talking about the expectation gap, right? No doubt you've fallen short of your spouse's expectation. Teenagers, you've fallen short of, of the expectations of your parents. You probably think you can never add up to what they want you to be, right? That's your argument. Let me ask you another question. How many of you have ever fallen short of your own standard? It's March, March 10th. How are those New Year's resolutions going? How's that diet going? How's that five day, three days, one day, just go for a walk going? Yeah, we, we, fall, we fall short of our, our own standards. We fall short of other people's standards. And so, and so the thought process would be this. If we fall short of other people's standards, we fall short of the standards that we put in place in our life. If there is a God, then surely he has a standard, and we too fall short of it. But I want to unpack it a little bit further. We read this question last week. Who would you secretly enjoy seeing fail relationally, financially, or professionally? And I said this, I said, if you got an answer to this, like maybe someone else's kid or someone else's spouse or, or a coworker, then when you thought that, when you thought of that person last week, or if you're thinking about that person now, the next thought you have is, dear God, I hope nobody can read my mind. Because you feel that ickiness of having an answer to that. Now, Auburn fans, I know you live here with Alabama football. And I was trying to think of a comparison in Florida. Florida State and Florida, you guys, you were so happy when Central Florida finally lost, right? Yeah. That was supposed to be funny. 
but clearly here in Florida, that's a little too close to home. It was, who would you secretly enjoy seeing fail relationally, financially, or professionally? And if we think of that person, and then we go, oh, man, I really hate that. I feel that in me. Then, yeah, that, that's God's law saying, yeah, man, that's not right. Or how about this? There are some things in our world that we just know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Nobody has to tell us. Nobody has to give us the information. We just know that they are wrong. Nobody has to explain to you in detail why the Holocaust was wrong. Nobody has to do that. We understand that, that uh, having millions of starving children in the world is, is wrong. That's that law that, that is written on our heart that we were born under. But that same law holds us to a standard. And so God, or so Paul says this, the apostle Paul says, but when, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. Then he uses this word to redeem those under the law. If the first part of this verse is bad news that we're born under the law and you're accountable to God, a holy and perfect God, the good news is this, is that Jesus, or that God sent his son Jesus, born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under the law. This word redeem is a transactional word. In fact, in this day and time, it was used in reference to paying for a slave's freedom. In our day and time, you could think about it in a, in a gift card, that you give a gift card, maybe a $50 gift card, and then you go and redeem it, and you get $50 worth of product from whatever store you're at. But God says, hey, look, you were born under the law, but there's hope because I have redeemed I have redeemed you, and don't miss this. How? He paid the price. He redeemed you. He paid the price for your freedom with his son. I haven't had an opportunity to meet a lot of you, especially on all of our campuses, much less here. I know most everybody in Fairhope. And I would say that, that I love you. I mean, even if it's just a general rule of I'm a Christ follower and that's what I'm called to do. Like I say, I, I love you. Now, some of you in Fairhope, I love more than others. But I love you. Let me tell you something I'm not going to do for you. I'm not going to exchange my son's life for your soul. Not going to do it. Got to watch my son play baseball this weekend. It's the opening day, and I see him out there with all his friends, and I see the joy in his life, the smile on his face. And there is not a single person that I would say, you know what, I'll exchange his life for your soul. And if you're a mom or a dad, you feel the same way. You're like, absolutely not, I wouldn't do that. I don't even know if I love you. I don't know if I'd go that far. Just met you. But God says, hey, you were born under the law. You're accountable to this, and you know that, that, that something is not right in you. But I'm going to send my son to redeem you. And you know what we do when we feel our lives bump up against God's law? We compare when we feel that, ah, oh, it's just not right, I, I don't like the way I am, I feel there's something, there's some tension in me, we compare, and we fall into this compare, we fall into the comparison trap to go, if to make myself feel better, 
to make myself feel better, I'm going to compare to someone else. Let me ask you this. I said this word, redeem, is transactional. But what determines the price of something? It's what you'll pay for. There's a, there's a reason why Apple keeps making these things and charging an arm and a leg for them. Because there's knuckleheads like me out there that go, oh, okay. Here's a new one. You could say it this way. The value of a thing is based on the price it will bring. What does that tell you? What does that tell you about your value and your worth? When God says, I looked out and I saw you under the law, accountable to the law. I saw you trying to fix yourself by comparing yourself and to make that, to pay the price to redeem you. I'm going to do it through my son. I'm going to exchange his life for your souls. Although this word redeem is transactional, you cannot miss the value that God has placed on your life and the price that it cost him to buy our freedom. Paul continues. He said, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption, receive adoption of sonship. So he takes it a step further. He said, I redeemed you, but listen, I'm going to adopt you as well. I'm going to place you in my family. Now, here's what's interesting about this word. The Hebrew culture... Paul's background, the Apostle Paul's background, had no word for adoption. If parents died, the other family members just knew that you were going to take on the responsibility. There, there wasn't a system for it. But in the Greek and Roman world, to which Paul is writing this letter to, in the, Galatia, to the churches in Galatia, this, this word meant something, but it didn't mean the same thing that we think of. Today, when we think of adoption, we think of a cute little baby that needs a home. Or we think of maybe a child. But in those days, they didn't, the, the Greeks and the Romans, they didn't adopt children. You know why? Because children die. Well, they didn't adopt babies. They didn't adopt children for the same reason. Because babies and children die. In fact, oftentimes, they wouldn't name their children until they were much older. Adoption was reserved for adults. So much so, if you're familiar with the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, Caesar Augustus, when it came time to appoint one of his sons to replace him, he looked at his sons, he's like, you guys are a bunch of knuckleheads. There's no way you're going to replace me. He went and adopted Tiberius. You know how, how old Tiberius was? Forty years old. And he says, I'm not turning this thing over to my sons. They're crazy. So I'm going to go adopt this guy who in his adult life has proven himself to be responsible, a hard worker, to be competent. And I'm going to let him be the next Caesar of Rome. Now feel the weight of that. It's not only that God redeemed us. It's not only that God redeemed you, but he also adopted you. And he didn't adopt you as this vulnerable little baby. He adopted you knowing the fullness of who you would be, the fullness of the mistakes you would make, the fullness of the sin that you might still be living in. And he said, even in light of all of that, 
I'm going to adopt you, seeing the full scope of your life, everything you get wrong. Not only am I going to give my son to redeem you, to buy your freedom, I'm going to bring you into my family and give you sonship. Now, ladies, don't get upset because Paul was ahead of his time. Women in this day and time didn't have many rights, if any at all. To be a daughter was not much higher than to be a slave. And so what he's saying, the Apostle Paul, is everybody is going to have the same capacity as a son of a king. Male, female, race, doesn't matter. Through Christ, you have the opportunity to be the heir to the king, the creator of the universe. He says, I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. Not just in title, but an heir. Paul continues, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit that calls out Abba, Father. And this word Abba is Aramaic. There's actually not even a Greek reference for it, which is why one of the reasons Paul uses it here. He could, there wasn't a Greek equivalent to this word. But the main reason that Paul uses this word right here is because it's the same thing that Jesus called his heavenly father. In Mark chapter 14, we have this account. Jesus is in the garden. He's about to go through the worst time of his life, the, the crucifixion. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Then going a little far, farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. So this is Jesus in his most desperate moment. And he doesn't only call him father, but it's a word that means dad. It's far more intimate. He says, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. In other words, God, if there's another way, Dad, if there's another way to do this, can we possibly do it that way? And then he comes back and he says, yet yeah, not what I will, but you will. And Paul says, you get to call him not only heavenly father, not only father as just identifying the place in the family as mother, father, child. I would, I would guess most of you don't refer to your dad. You don't go home and say, well, good afternoon, father. You know, we don't talk that way because that word just designates uh, position in family. And what Paul is saying is you can call the creator of the universe dad because of what Jesus did on the cross. You get to call him dad. You get to have that kind of intimate relationship with him. And that's huge. But the question you should be asking is, okay, well, that, that all sounds good. I'm glad I can call him dad. What does this have to do with the comparison trap? How does this help me live with this one hand of tranquility versus the two hands of working and toiling, always trying to compare and always trying to get more? How, how does this help me? And it's simple. Is that when we understand our place in God's eyes, that we are loved 
let me step back, that we have been redeemed, not by anything that we've done, not by our good works, but by, by Christ paying the price on a cross. And not only were we redeemed, but we were adopted. I mean, redemption says the price is paid. Adoption says you are loved. And if you are loved, you are a part of the family. And if you are a part of the family, there is no need to compare yourself to anybody else. Think about this question, moms and dads. Who do good parents compare their children to? Just a good, just your average, decent person that's a mom or dad. I mean, if you, if you walked into a room and you saw a mom and a dad holding a baby, because most of you have lived long enough to know that there are some babies that are just born, and man, you could just, I mean, they're just so cute, right? Then there's some babies that kind of have to grow into that cuteness, right? It's just a fact of life, okay? But let's say it's one of those babies, and you walked up on a mom or dad, and obviously all life is precious, and I'm being facetious, and you heard them say something like, man, I sure wish they looked like so-and-so's baby. And you would be appalled. you go, what kind, of, what kind of mother, what kind of father are you that you would compare your child to someone else's child? And so the question, what do, or who do good parents compare their children to? No one. So how much more then would a heavenly father look down and say, you know what, guys, I, I don't compare you to anybody. You're not trying to keep up with this person. I love you the same because the price was the same. The value of a thing is based on the, determined by the price it brings. And I gave my son. As if God would say it this way, you, if you look up, you don't have to look around. If you look up to your relationship with him, to what he's done for you, you don't have to look to the left or to the right and begin to compare yourself to anyone because you know that you are loved because you were redeemed. And not only redeemed, you were adopted. And because you were adopted, that means, how about this? You were chosen by God to be a part of his family. And there's no need. There's no need to look to anybody else. There's no need to look to, to anything else. You can even say it this way. God to you, if you're mine, you're fine. You're good. You're enough. Make no mistake, not because of anything you've done, your good works or anything like that. No, no but because of how much I loved you and the price that I paid for you. And those moments in this, in this world when we're tempted and we bounce up against that law and we say, golly, I'm just not enough. I don't add up. We can look up and remember that God has paid a dear price. And that price determines our value and our worth. If you look up, you don't have to look around. You don't have to compare to others. You just see the price that God has paid for you. We're going to close with a song. And I'm going to just read the lyrics to you. 
It's a song that we, we've done here often. You'll, you'll be familiar with it. It says, who, I am, who, who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he, he brought me in. Oh, how he loved me. Who the son sets free, oh, is free indeed. I am a child of God. Yes, yes, I am. Free at last, he has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. And the bridge says this, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for us, and the bands are going to come out and lead us in this. And this is what I want you to do for, in the next few moments. For some of you, you may just need to sit and listen. And let these words wash over you. And feel the significance and the weight of what Christ has done for you. And you don't have to compare. You add up. You're enough. You're okay because of what Jesus did for you. And just let that wash over your heart. And for some of you, you may, need to, you may need to shout this from your seat as an anthem, as a reminder to shout down the voices of hell that, that calls you to compare and say, no, 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 no. Heck no, I, I, I am who he says I am. I am a child of God. I belong to him. I don't need to compare myself to anybody else. I'm enough because of what Jesus did. Because the price that God paid because I was redeemed, adopted, loved, and placed in his family. So you respond however you need to respond during these next few moments. Let me pray for you. Father God, on all of our campuses, I, I know the the temptation we live in, the constant whisper of, I wonder if I'm enough, the constant need to compare myself to others, to find value and worth. Father, help us to rest in the truth that you redeemed us, that you paid the price through your son, Jesus. because we are yours we can ignore the whispers we can speak truth over the whispers Father I pray for anyone in the room that has not come to a place where they have felt the weight of that truth on their life and, and are still working trying to work their way to heaven God, help them to rest this morning in the truth that they are enough, not because of what they do, but because of what you did, because the price you paid. And Father, may this truth sink deep in our hearts so that we can live in the freedom 
that you've called us to. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.